poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness. Now, nestled in the foothills of a mountain range, Greatness Village is the promised land the Chasing Poker Greatness community calls home. Here, you'll find elite teachers, aspiring pros, and primitive tribal warriors who grew tired of their old ways and found a better path. These are the stories of Greatness Village on Chasing Poker Greatness. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of Chasing Poker Greatness, Coach Brad Wilson. I almost messed that up. I don't even know the name of my own show at this point. Um, <laughs> the person trying not to laugh in the background is Joseph Johnson, who's a hungry, ambitious, gritty, young poker player. Those are his words, not mine, actually. He... <laughs> <laughs> thinks very highly of himself in writing his own intro. Uh, one of my private coaching students who you may remember from a recent episode of Tactical Tuesday, Joe's journey began in a small home game with a few college buddies, quickly blossomed into full-on obsession. He's planning on moving to Texas to go for the live grind. Uh, Joe's just, he's a dude that's got heart. He's got grit. He's got fiery combativeness. It's in his nature. And I can't wait to see where he goes from here. Joe, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks, Brad. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> We're planning on uh, just planning on embarrassing you straight from the get go, right? It's sweet. I, I call I, I'm the one that asked you to write the intro and then I make fun of the intro that you wrote. Exactly. Um, right exactly. at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I expect nothing less from you, Brad. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so let's dive into the story of how you got involved playing cards. How old are you? Where are you from? Give us a story. Yeah. So I'm uh twenty-three, I I I think. Actually, somebody asked me the other day how old I was, and it took me like five minutes to guess whether I was twenty-three or twenty-four. Wow. Um, so I still don't know actually, but yeah, so I started playing poker like three years ago. I was, uh, I was a real estate agent at the time here in, in, um, uh, Boise, Idaho. And I had, uh, we had like a get together, you know, with our real estate team and stuff. I had a couple of co college buddies come to it and they invited me to come play like a $10 cash game, um, over, over at their house and just like hang out and drink, play cards and whatnot. And being the type of person I am, I studied the entire night before on YouTube for like four or five hours on poker strategy. So I could just wipe the floor because that's just what I do. And, um, yeah, from, from that, I was just like, wow, this is actually like a really cool game. And, uh, I got onto online cash games and immediately got into like pokercoaching.com and was like studying all the time. And like that just consumed all of my free time. And I was just like, I'm a very obsessive person. So when I get excited about something, it's like I am full on tunnel vision. And that's what poker has been for me for the past three years. And um, yeah. Well, that's it. End of the show. Well done. Awesome. Thanks, Brad. <laughs> Appreciate it. Good to have you here. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about this obsessive nature and, you know, you being the type of person to study before you played poker against your friends, had poker been on your radar and what other instances of being obsessive about learning something had you had growing up? Yeah. Um, I had, I had played poker before, but oddly enough, it was on, uh, like the, if the PlayStation two had like a WSOP video game when I was a kid and I played that a, a bunch. And so like, that's how I learned, learned the game. And so I like, I, I knew that I enjoyed it, but like, yeah, like this obsessive nature, like that's, um, it's pretty much been there for my entire life. Like started really like with video games when I was a kid, like I was the type of kid that just like never went outside and like just played video games all the time. And, uh, I was also like, 
like one of the other instances was um, music actually. So I, I used to play the the trumpet and I majored in, in trumpet performance in, in uh, college. And like, that was, it was kind of like the same thing. Like since I was in like sixth grade, like I just picked this one thing and I turned it kind of into a competition. Like I just wanted to be the best that I could possibly be and just did it all the time. Like I just practiced always. And that was kind of like just one track mind for years until one day I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. And so I did something else. <laughs> what is like a career path for a trumpeter? Like, what does it look like? Yeah, it's, I mean, truthfully, it's very, it's fairly slim. Like I, a lot of people get into music and they go into music education to like teach in public schools or like have a private studio and stuff like that. I quickly realized that like teaching is not something that I wanted to do in music. Like I just wanted to play. So like, opportunities for that are just like usually in larger cities than Boise like um here in Idaho like there's really not much opportunity for that stuff so I was fully prepared to like move out of state um play in like um you know an orchestra or something like that um or you know recording studios for like um you know movies and video games and stuff like that in like LA or any stuff like that I actually, right before I quit, I was practicing for my graduate school auditions uh, for North Texas, which, and then I decided that I didn't want to leave Idaho. And funny enough, now I'm moving to Texas in a month. Yeah. The irony, <laughs> the irony, the irony. Right? Yeah. Yeah. What happened that made you just quit? It was, um, it was really weird. Like, so, I mean, nobody expected it. Like, I didn't expect it. It was, it was really funny. Like when I told my parents that I was not going to do this anymore, like they were just like floored because like the day before I had played my horn for like five hours by myself, just like practicing and stuff. And I just kind of like, I decided that like, I guess I just wasn't ready to, to move like from Idaho. Like I just loved it here and like all my family's here. And, and um, like, I just didn't feel like there was a lot of opportunity to, you know, branch out from music eventually and like find other hobbies or passions or something like that and have them be fueled, like largely because it's not a very lucrative career. Like I was fully prepared to just play my horn every single day and like basically just like be poor, you know, like it's, it's a very tough career. It's tough to make money. And I was just like, you know, if, if I do that, like, it's gonna be really hard to, you know, do something else that I enjoy and like, something in, in, in my life that's like a part of me is that I find different obsessions and I need to be able to obsess about them when, it, when it comes up. And I just felt like that wasn't going to give me that opportunity to, to do that. So I just and woke up one day and I was like, I'm not going to yeah, do it. Not going to do it. So then you got into real estate. Tell me about that. Yeah. I, I actually went, um, first, like I was really excited after I did it. I was like, Oh my gosh, like the whole world is open to me. I can do whatever I want. Um, and, uh, I actually went to school for it, like I was studying network administration, which is the same career path that my fiance took. I took like same classes and everything went for a while, eventually realized I didn't want to do that. I was studying and like investing and stuff like that. Cause I was like, wow, I can actually make money now. So like, let's, how can we make more money? You know? So I looked into investing, I found real estate and I was like, you know, being like high D personality that I am, I was like, I want to be a real estate agent. I want to build my own business and whatnot. And that was, you know, an opportunity that I'm incredibly grateful for. And I had an amazing experience and also it kind of broke me mentally that career path. What do you mean? Like it is, I have an unbelievable amount of respect for people that can sell real estate and like run their own business like that. You know, like it's one of the most popular career paths. Like, like you can throw a stick and hit a realtor, like no matter where you are, <laughs> you know, like everybody, everybody seems to do it, but like very few succeed at it. And it's because it's just like mentally grueling sometimes. Like you're constantly putting yourself out there to other people. You're constantly getting rejected. You're feel sometimes you can feel like you're always working. And like, for me, just like, I guess the thing that really got to me most was like, it felt like my success was determined on whether or not somebody else liked me, you know, or like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like it, it felt like my success was dependent on whether or not this other person had a high opinion of me. And 
And um, yeah, I was just like, I had never struggled with like anxiety or anything like that. But after a year in real estate, like I had like real problems coming up and like be watching a movie at like 3 p.m. on a Saturday and all of a sudden just have an anxiety attack because like I felt like I forgot something, you know, and like you're helming a family's likely largest purchase that they'll ever make in their entire life. So that's a lot of, that's a, that's a lot to have on your shoulders. Yeah. A lot of responsibility. And so you, you, sounds like real estate was not very fun for you. Um. (laughs) (laughs) It really wasn't. I, I mean, there was a lot that was like, I definitely, there was, it's a lot like poker. Like there's a lot of highs and lows. Um, So like I had times where I just felt like I was on top of the world. And I had other times where I felt like, a worthless piece of shit, <laughs> you know, like, um, it was, it was definitely an up and down thing, but yeah, after a while I was just like, I can't do this. Like, I don't want to do this. This is just not, not working. And, um, yeah. And when in your journey, did you stumble across poker? Did you start getting obsessive? Was that like in the middle of your real estate career? Yeah, it was like, it was sort of towards the beginning. It was about like, it was about like five or six months, like once I got into real estate and, um, I remember cause it was around like Christmas time or whatever. And, and I was like starting to look, look into the game and I was playing on like apps on my phone, you know, like the free, the free ones and whatnot. And I was like studying for them, uh, <laughs> which is hilarious <laughs> in hindsight. Um, but then I was like, I was like, you know what, I'm going to find one of the online poker sites. I got into bet online, uh, hiding it from my fiance who is a very, very fiscally responsible risk averse. Wait, is risk risk averse? Like steering away from risk. Is that the right risk averse? That is, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Very risk averse person. And I knew like, if she knew that I just put $200 online to gamble, I would be in trouble. So starting out, starting out the journey. Correct. Right. Hiding things from your fiance always, always ends well. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it um, did end well actually i did what? the right thing <laughs> yeah, you did the right thing you, you came clean what did she say when you came clean yeah no she was not happy uh for sure um understandably um that's definitely something that's that can be a little worrying especially if you don't understand like you know you know what what the game's about and that like you don't have to play it like a gambler but yeah i, I was playing five cent, 10 cent online and quickly burned through the $200 and deposited another $200 and probably burned through that again and deposited another $200. And I was like, you know, starting to have a crisis in the beginning of that. I was like, Oh my God, I'm a degenerate. Like (laughs) I know I'm obsessive. I'm going to get obsessive about this game. I'm going to lose everything and just go to ground zero, you know? And like, yeah, but I just, I just kept trying and kept, kept studying and whatnot. And like, it took me a very long time to like, even start to begin to be break even in that. But yeah, it was like, you know, fast forward like two years after that and I'm really struggling in real estate and like all I can think about is poker. Like I'm just studying it all the time. I played poker in the middle of our office while I was like working sometimes. And yeah, like I started to like become a winning player and I was like, Hey, I'm like, I'm actually starting to make some money in this. And I probably jumped to playing full-time sooner than what um most people would recommend probably because like yeah i mean it was just it was just sooner but to me i felt like what did your fiance think about this jump because this is like oh he he may have like a little bit of an oh he's doing it a lot now oh he just wants to do this thing yeah it was um like it was definitely pretty tough like to to start you know when when i told her like i started alluding to the fact that I wanted to to play full-time and this was like hard for her because you know being a risk averse like very you know stable person like I had went from playing music and then went into IT and then I was like no I'm gonna quit this I'm gonna do real estate you know that conversation was hard enough right then and then it was like no I'm gonna quit real estate and play poker like it's it was just like mind-boggling for her she's like oh my god like when are you gonna do something that like you know sticks or whatever and and um I guess I just, I'd explained to her, like I had been coaching with Justin Saliba for a while. And like, I, I explained to her like what my win rate is and like how I think I can grow that continuously. And like where, 
you know, where the money's going to come from. And it was also very good too, because like there was a couple times where Justin had offered to stake me in, in, in playing cash games and stuff. And I was like, Hey, like this guy's like a high stakes crusher, you know, he's been playing professionally for a while. And like, he's smart enough to know that like he wouldn't give his money to invest in somebody that he didn't think was going to make money. And so like, that was like part of my leverage towards her. I was like, I have somebody that believes in me enough to do this. Like, you know, you should too kind of thing. And, um, she came around as I knew she would eventually. And it, it, it took a little bit, but I mean, she's my rock now. I mean, she's like fully, fully supportive. She's the one who suggested we should move to Dallas, which is wow. Yeah. That was completely unexpected. How did that conversation come up? Yeah, I was, I was playing, I was playing online and like, I was, we were talking about like me playing professionally, like just playing online here in Idaho and like online's tough, obviously, like it's a very tough environment to, um, you know, go through. There's a, a multitude of things that add to that. And like, it was just kind of like, I was winning, but I was struggling and she just, I was on the couch, we were talking and she was like, you know, Joe, do you think it'd be easier if you lived next to a casino? And I was like, what? Like, excuse me? Yeah. And so the first thing that came up was, was Texas. And actually like one thing I, I didn't mention is um, right when I started playing, I had met a guy named Jay Wynn who grinds full-time in, in Austin, Texas. Now um, we met on the poker coaching discord and like, I was constantly sharing his results with with my fiance and being like like look at what this dude is doing like absolutely crushing it in texas and i'm like we like came up together in the game you know like we have like a, the you know a similar understanding of the game and i'm you know so that was like also a you know a way to convince her that like this is real you know? yeah, yeah. You're, um, i see the sales tactics i see the real estate training coming into play here oh man i got so much stuff for my real estate career <laughs> <laughs> The lang the language you use in real estate is so is so funny. Like when you're you know trying to connect with someone and trying to convince them of of something, um, I've plenty of times used that language uh, on my fiance, and she was like, "Don't do that shit with me. <laughs> I know what you're doing." <laughs> yeah, um, using it on loved ones probably not the best. I think what's interesting is like the most influential place that you can come from is a place of like just honesty, right? Just like pure honesty and a place of caring. Like I care, I'm honest. This is what I think, take it or leave it. And you know, it, it's, it's something I've struggled with in my business career is like the selling aspect, because I think that in a perfect world, I'd be like, yo, I made this amazing stuff. You guys would be stupid not to buy it. So just buy it. Right. And that would just work. But like, that's not how you sell things. <laughs> it, just right. saying you're an idiot if you don't buy this um, doesn't work so well in the real world. So like you actually have to learn how to sell something. And even if the thing that you're selling is like you believe in it 10 billion percent and you know that like this thing provides max value, um, you still have to use the right language, use the right sales techniques. And then once they get in there, you've got to fully convince them that like they didn't make a mistake. Um, and that's by providing direct value with the product or whatever it is that you're selling. But yeah, um, as it relates to loved ones and stuff like that, I mean, yeah, you can't, you can't bust out the sales techniques. Like my wife knows. Sure. And it's funny because like <laughs> now that I know sales, like I understand what I'm being sold to by other people and how they're framing things and how they're priming me. It's like my radar is just very alert. And when it comes from a cold person, I'm like immediately defenses are like straight, straight up, straight away. Like you're trying to get something for me. What are you trying to get? Um, and then try to figure out intent, but yeah, you, uh, try to sell your fiance, which she of course sees through your bullshit. Um, <laughs> but somehow you managed to convince her anyway, because yeah. she's the one that makes, you know, gives you the option of like moving to Texas. I assume yeah. her job's remote. She can do it from wherever. Yeah, actually, she so she works at um, like the the company she works at is Sensi. She does IT work for for them. There's an 
office, like their main campus or whatever. It's five minutes away from our house. And oddly enough, there is another Sensi campus 10 minutes away from Texas Cardhouse Dallas. So she's kind of going to go back and forth and, and whatnot. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it worked out pretty, pretty damn well. And uh, yeah, I mean, none of it would have, none of this would even be possible without, with, without her and, and whatnot. I mean, all kudos to her too, for understanding and bridging the gap oh, from yeah. like being, you know, pretty ignorant of the poker world, the lifestyle, the gambling element to educating herself and really understanding like what's going on here. Um, and really what, the profession is about because lots of people don't take the time. They just sort of make a judgment and then stick to that judgment without ever educating themselves. And like those people, especially if they're like a fiance, a spouse, you have a, a very close intimate relationship with them. It, it is a massive struggle to overcome because it just creates so much friction between both of you. Totally. Um, and like, the 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 variance of the game is like you know that's still going to be a a struggle like you know my second month of playing full time I just went on like this horrific run that was just like it was so you know it was just cute bad beat stories and generic everything else of playing poker and like it was it was tough for me like it was upsetting for me but like I'm the type of person that just has like a five minute funeral over my horrible session and then like I'm good but you know I go and like vent to her I'm just like man this this idiot fish just like did this thing and i'm freaking lost my stack because of this dumb dumb thing or whatever and she's like oh my god you lost how much money kind of thing and and i'm like upset about it for five minutes and then i'm done i'm like ah, i'm good I'll, I'll go do it tomorrow and like that stuck that sticks with her you know it doesn't go away that doesn't go away that fast but yeah i mean she's like she's word of advice don't do that i learned that very quick <laughs> I learned that very quick. Word of advice. I wouldn't go that route. Um, because like you said, it, it sticks with her and the anxiety stays. And so, you know, vent to me, <laughs> vent to greatness village. Um, and then in a less emotionally compromised state, you know, yeah. talk about, talk about it with her because learned like, that real fast. Yeah. yeah. She's going to pick up <laughs> on the anxiety and the anxiety that you feel and that energy that you're sharing with her is actually more detrimental than the actual information that you're giving her. Right. Totally. Yeah. No, that like a hundred percent, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. So, so do you, here's a question. Do you get concerned that y'all are going to move to Texas and then what happens if the obsession just gets snuffed out kind of like it did with the trumpet? Yeah. Um, like if there if there was anything that like made me worried about it the most, it's that. Um, like, I guess I I'm I'm a bit self conscious in in the fact that like I worry that you know I'm too much of like um, I don't know like I'm just ricocheting all 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 off a bunch of things and that one day I'll just like wake up and be like wow yeah I don't want to do this anymore and like it causes me a lot of stress when I start to go through like a little bit of burnout. Like the other day was like the first day in a couple months where I was just like, man, I just really don't want to play. And like, that caused me a bit of anxiety. I was like, Oh my God, like what if that just gets worse, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. But like, logically I know that like, it's just normal to, to go through that. Um, yeah. I mean, I know that eventually I will be doing something different. So I guess I just kind of accept that that is the thing. And, you know, I know that there's certain things that I want to accomplish in playing. So I don't know. I'm not too worried about it. Um, you know, it's I fair. It's just I, take it a step at a time. Yeah. And the reality is like, we can't really project who we're going to be in 10 years. You know, there's a lot of pressure on young folks to have it all figured out from an early age. And I, I've mentioned an article that I read before on the podcast, but like, it's something silly like 97% of jobs that our kindergartners have today will – that our kindergartners end up having do not exist today. So like mm -hmm. they're just going into fields that are – yeah, they, they can't know what they're going to do because what right. they're going to do is not a thing yet, right? Like I'm a digital – course creator and a podcaster and a poker uh, online poker coach right like when i was 10 years old none of that stuff 
existed right. in this world. So like you can't have visibility of things that you just don't know what the world's going to be like in 10 years. You don't know who right. you're going to be like, you're going to be a different person in, in 10 years, Joe, you'll look back at yourself and not even recognize the person that you are today. And so we do need to have that sort of flexibility as we go through life to be like, yeah, let's analyze where we're at. Are we fulfilled? Is Are we excited? Is this making sense still? And if it's not, then start plotting a course to change. You don't have to like uproot and quit playing poker instantly overnight, but like right. you can take some steps that are logical and make sense to embark on a new adventure. Yeah, um, and that was like, that's a really that's a really good point. Like, and that's something that like I made myself start thinking about. Like when I when when I would be, you know, upset with myself for like, you know, this bouncing around kind of thing. I would just remind myself like, dude, you're, you're, you've been an adult for like five years. Like it's okay. There's yeah. lots of other people that haven't figured it out and they're like 20 years older than you. It's like, it's fine. It's fine. And I think it's wise too to bounce around because the last thing you want to do is to make an agreement with yourself, get involved in something that doesn't move the needle. And then all of a sudden you've spent 20 years doing that thing. And you're like, where did my life go? Right. And like you that's, never leave because of the sunk cost fallacy. Right. And, and, or you just have like a, you know, you've created a golden cage for yourself where you're just doing so well that like, cool, you know, this, I mean, this happens with poker players too, right? Where it's like, cool, my, you know, I make 200K per year. I graduated high school. There's not another thing that I could do <laughs> to make 200K a year in the universe. Therefore, I must play poker even if I don't enjoy it anymore. And I mean, it happens in many industries just kind of across the board and it's a real problem. So I think that like the way that you've gone about it is wise in that early on you can afford to bounce around and there's not much of a cost. Um, it can feel like, you know, you can feel like the perception of you is flaky, the perception of you is that like you're not sticking to anything, but the reality is like more people should go through life like that than the other way, especially when you're young. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. One, one thing that like, I'm, I'm extremely grateful for in, in like what, what makes me feel more confident that I can bounce around to a couple different things is largely because of my fiance and her fine financial, like savvy to work for five years and live at her parents' house and save every single dime and never spend money on anything. Like, you know, we like had a, had a nest egg and my experience in real estate allowed us to in invest in real estate um, and like have, a, you know, a pass, a passive investment that like I can take a shot at, at playing poker full time. And, you know, I'm, I'm very, very confident in myself that like it's going to work at the fullest extent that I believe it will. And if it didn't for some reason, like it's all right. Like we're good. We set ourselves up in a, in a situation that, you know, I can, we can both take shots at different things to try to achieve, you know, our lifelong dreams or whatever. And, and we're never really going to be at a, you know, a very tough spot because we took a shot and it didn't work, you know? Yeah. And as you're talking, so a, I believe that, you'll carve out a career playing poker. I think that your percentage chance of success is very, very high. I also started feeling as you're talking about this move and all these things, I started feeling a little anxiety as your private coach. It's like, man, but I, I think I feel this anxiety with like pretty much all my private coaching students, but especially, you know, somebody like you that's like moving and you're at the beginning of this adventure and it's like, I've got to fucking do whatever I can to help this kid be as successful as he wants to be. And that's sort of, I love that feeling of pressure that I have to perform because like there's something riding on it. There's stakes involved. I think that that's something that like ties into why I love playing poker so much is being in the pressure cooker and trusting myself to solve problems. Um, but I do feel a little anxiety as your, as your coach, but Again, I think anxiety is just energy and it's a necessary component to pursue things with a high degree of intensity. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's like what was it Clayton Fletcher you had on, on, on recently? It was like, thank you for these nerves. Thank you for these anxiety. Like, you know, like it, it, it means that you care and like, 
I I knew very quickly when I started coaching with you. Like I, I was very I was very excited because I I very soon realized that you really really care about what you do and care about your students' success and everything. That that means a lot to me as a student, and like that's very very important to have in a, a student coaching relationship. In in my time in music, I've had several different private coaches, you know, private mentors for for that thing. Um, and I felt like I had a, a pretty good idea of what good coaches are like because I went through several of them and I learned very quickly that you are one of those good coaches. So like your, your anxiety, nerves and excitement for your students is, uh, is a very good thing. I can say that. I appreciate that. And for the record too, I think when you came to me for cash game coaching after getting coaching from Justin Saliba, that was because Justin's like very focused on his high stakes career, right? He's like grinding the 50 Ks. Absolutely. Like I, that guy is awesome. He's an incredible coach. Uh, it, it, you know, like I, I've, I've connected with him very well. And like his style of understanding the game, I was like locked onto that. He's a very, very theory heavy GTO guy. Just um, like me, right? <laughs> just like you, Brad. Um, yeah. And, and uh, it just, yeah, he was, he's very focused and like, I totally, totally understand. I mean, if I was grinding the toughest tournaments in the world, I probably wouldn't want to spend a ton of time coaching either, you know? And yeah, one of the reasons I had reached out to you is because I had kind of been on that far end of the spectrum of just like very, very theory heavy work. And I knew from what I'd seen from you on poker coaching that, that, you know, you weren't all about that life. And I was, you know, it was like, Brad's obviously a crusher. He just has a different perspective of, of the game. Like I want to learn what that perspective is and kind of meld my own, you know, understanding of the game with, with both extremes. And which awesome. I, I honestly feel like you two are both on the opposite ends of the spectrum as far as like how you understand the game and, and how you improve. So it's, it's a, it's a pretty cool opportunity to have that. What's interesting is I had Justin on the show. The I don't know if the episode will have been released when this gets released, but even people on opposite ends of the spectrum, there is a ton of overlap. You know, I think that's sort of the misnomer is like, oh, you know, Coach Brad like doesn't he teaches a lot of exploitative strategy and you know doesn't dive deep in the theory, doesn't use Pio a ton. And I think people can take away that, like, I don't understand theory at a relatively high level. But when I know that I do understand poker theory at a very high level, um, it's just sort of how I've approached learning the game is through understanding human beings and the exploits, which are deviations from the theory. But you've got to know what the theory is in order to exploit in the first place. And in Justin's case, I, you know, Justin understands theory at a very high level and through theory that allows him to exploit, which is sort of like, it's the same process for making decisions, playing poker, just kind of come, we've just kind of come at them from like little bit different angles that made sense for us. And always in poker, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And I think that like for the listener right now, if, you know, if a heavy exploit data-driven strategies, if that doesn't resonate with you and Pio resonates with you and going through the solvers, go that path and find a coach that specializes in that. And if the solvers don't resonate with you, go a different path than that, but don't fight against the current. Go with like who you are as a human, what resonates with you, what excites you. Um, you know, running a billion Pio Sims has never felt exciting to me, like for one second in my life. But uh, I do do it more now than I really ever have. And that's just through understanding, um, adding like MDA plus Pio is a very, very powerful utility and um but anyway i just wanted to state that for the record that like yeah. even though it seems like totally opposite ends of the spectrum there's still a ton of overlap there yeah and like you've created your own brain solver you know like we all we all have our own our own understanding of the game is kind of our our brain solver that we have and like yours is obviously very very good and very good at you know the finding exploits and stuff and it's also hilariously awesome that you you know you haven't looked at this particular sim or whatever and you'll explain what your strategy would be and then you can plug it into pio and be like oh yeah like 
this is pretty much exactly what Brad said. <laughs> <laughs> that weirds me out a little bit, but I guess I guess it just means that like as it relates to poker strategy, I've thought about things kind of in the right way on an intuitive level. And so the strategies that I deploy just kind of match up. With, and that's the thing about Pio too, is like when you shift the outputs around, like you will Pio in, in a spot preflop, right? Where villain always has aces, Pio is going to fold kings. A solver will fold kings pre if villain 100% has aces. And so the better you are at locking strategies and understanding what people are doing, um, just the better you are at exploiting them and understanding the game at a really high level. And so, yeah, I think that that's something that gets missed in solver land a lot of times. It's like, yeah, we need to call here some, we need to bluff some, but some spots like people just aren't folding. And in some spots, people just aren't calling. And so if you were to input, you know, use the correct inputs in Pio, it's going to tell you, yeah, don't bluff here. <laughs> if villains call every time, we probably shouldn't bluff, right? That just makes yeah. sense. So anyway. It reminds me of a recent Tactical Tuesday episode. Remind that, me of, of a recent Tactical when Tuesday that, When episode. that one kid just had to make the, the river jam on the river with the nut blocker and the guy wasn't folding. Oh yeah, that one, that one, you know. Had to, right? I, I have have to. to. I have to. That's the <laughs> I have to make this bluff. Yeah, that's the My killer. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the killer of high level poker play. When I have to call here, I have to bluff here because I need a bluff. Um <laughs> I know this dude just has a flush hundred percent and is never folding, but like let's give him the money because I need to have a bluff. Uh Joe's Joe's alluding to his tactical Tuesday, where John and I broke down um hands that he played it. Yeah, the aforementioned Texas card house where you're going to be a regular quite soon. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. your discovery of greatness village, I assume was rooted in Justin's recommendation. Uh, no, he, he never mentioned it or anything. Oh, really? Um, no, I, I like, I was, uh, listening to podcasts and stuff like that. I was just finding a bunch of poker podcasts. I found the CPG podcast. I had known about it for a while. I just hadn't listened to it. And, um, went through a ton of the tactical Tuesdays that you had and a couple other episodes and stuff. And, um, yeah, I was, I was just like, like, like I said before, I could tell that you were kind of the opposite of how I had been a approaching the game. And I am always, uh, I'm always about getting private coaching under like the one-on-one -on -one setting. I feel like I get, you know, I know how to maximize that environment. Well, so let's dive how in. I knew. How do you maximize the one-to-one -one coaching environment for the listener? Yeah. Um, you know, I, what's funny, I don't know if I ever had to explain this before, but like you have to be, you have to be able to take the th thought processes, you know, like ask questions enough to like pick your coach's brain on why they're thinking about, you know, a spot or, you know, a thing in a certain way. And instead of taking the answer that they give you, I mean, this is why that this is why you and I battle so much in our, in our <laughs> sessions is because like, I'm just not wired to take answers, you know, like, and, and just be like, oh yeah, well, we're supposed to not pot it with middle pair here or, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and, and I'm just like, well, why, like, why, why wouldn't you do this? Like you, there's so many advantages to, to, to doing it in this way. And like, I, I just need to hear you explain the thought process so that I can take that and plug it into every other scenario that I have so that it's like, it's like I'm developing a toolbox that I can pull from, because if I just have answers for, you know, very specific things, that's like, that's such a limited thing to be able to pull from, especially in a game like poker, where there's just an infinite amount of decisions. You know, I need to just have a toolbox and a thought process um, to, to be able to pull from, to do those things. I did the same thing when I was in music, like, um, yeah, I just, I asked a ton of questions and I, get it from I, that way. Yeah. I think we, we talked about this in the pre-interview. I don't know if we talked about it yet in the show or not. I think my memory is just like, I think so, it was the pre-interview. Yeah, pre-interview. We talked <laughs> about, um, you know, when you say battle in our coaching sessions, it's like, I make a strategy suggestion and you're like, well, why? Why? And then it's like verbalizing my thought process, verbalizing why I don't think you should pot it with middle pair. Um, and then just having like a 30 minute back and forth and then, you know, running the sim and the sim being like, yeah, you don't pot it with middle pair. It's like, motherfucker. Like, how did this, how did this happen? Um, but getting challenged, I think for coaches, 
is good. Ultimately, I think anytime you get challenged, any thought that you have, any uh, strategy suggestion that you have, any belief that you have, let's just like remove poker from the equation. I think all beliefs should be challengeable and you really should be forced to think deeply about why you believe what you believe, why you think what you think. And if you can't figure out a reason, if you don't have good reasons, if the logic falls apart, then you should question these beliefs. You should question these truths that you think apply to just existence. And, you know, zooming back into poker, I, I think that like we should be able to defend our strategies or we should be forced to defend. We should be forced to try to break them, right? I think that's the key. Try to break strategy, try to break understanding. And if you can't break it, then cool. You understand it at a very high level. And if you can, then cool, everybody gets to make an upgrade. So like it's beneficial for everyone. And I'll be the first to say that like, I'm not sure about some things and I'm not exactly sure of all the mechanisms in play in very specific spots. I think a Tactical Tuesday that was released very recently with John where he like jams um, for a bottom pair with a flush draw on the turn, like at the end of thinking about that and going through that hand with John, because you know I'm classic, obsessive person. Uh, when my thoughts aren't echoed by Pio and my understanding of the situation, I want to learn why. Like, why is strategy construction looking like this on the turn? What What's happening here? And that to me is just, it's good. It's a good way to go through life is being excited about being proven wrong because like, then you get to upgrade. You get to make an upgrade and that's just cool for yeah. me. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, it's like the, you know, we're applying the scientific method in, in poker all the time. Like, like you have a theory or an understanding of what, what you think should happen in this spot. And then your goal, sh like, yeah, I mean, like, like your goal should just be like, try to disprove it, you know? And if like, if you can't disprove it, then accept it, you know, that that's how you find, you know, objective truth in, in the world and, and in the game. Um, kind of a side note, um, like my, you know, my personality with, with, uh, battling and asking questions like this, it, it, you, you can thank my dad for that. My, my favorite thing that my dad ever taught me the, he, he always told me this since I was, since I was a little kid, he always said, don't believe anything I say just because I was the one who said it. And like that just stuck with me my whole life. And now I don't believe anything. <laughs> you, you think your dad ever regretted saying that? That's probably <laughs> <laughs> no but it's very good I, I was I'm, I'm always like i'm always the type of person that just asks a ton of questions i've asked loads of bad questions in my life that have you know led to bad answers and you know sometimes sometimes i find myself just like eagerly trying to come up with a question just for the purpose of asking a question <laughs> yeah that's a little that's a, a little, little it so, can get a little, a little much yeah it's a little it much get a little overkill but um you know I'd rather be on that spectrum than on the other. In a world where a fish dog bets the flop and you don't know what to do, one man Coach Brad Wilson. has a surefire plan to neutralize flop leads and rip that dunk to shreds. Nuffle. Available now. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash nuffle. Rated R. 100 NL player, former Sergeant Elijah Shears. Before I got Nuffle, I had run into a lot of dock bets. And I think once you play a certain amount of hands, you know there's something wrong with our opponent's strategies, but you don't know how to play to maximize EP against it. And it's very frustrating. I looked at the document and I couldn't believe that I paid money for it. I actually doubted that it could provide value because it was so brief. But since then, it's repaid me just over and over and over again. And it's one of the most consistent money makers built into my strategy that sheds light on just how bad your opponents are. And it took me 20 minutes to perfect it. And it's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm speechless. It's just that good. The simplicity of it is part of it being a masterpiece. <laughs> 
Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash courses. So ultimately, the, the question that I, I want to ask is, you know, how has your question asking process improved uh, through private coaching with me specifically over the last few months? Yeah, um, it's it's definitely um, it's improved quite a bit. Um, and in specifically how I use um, Pile Solver to get information from while adding, you know, the exploitative data analysis um, type of thing. It's been very good because you can kind of, you know, you can look at an equilibrium strategy in, in, in Pio and get one sort of answer. But if the population is just nowhere even close to what this is, then you, you should adjust what your strategy is to respond to that in a way. Um, and so you can just do that through node locking and, you know, asking, asking better questions like, you know, you get to a certain spot and, and just be like, yeah, well, we need, we need to call with, you know, these, these types of hands. Um, and then you can look at data or just your own intuition and be like, yeah, this is so under bluffed, this spot right here. So no, don't call with these hands. And, you know, you can, you can pull information like your job should always be to like ask, you know, why a solver is doing what it, what it is doing. And then your next question is, you know, how are people actually responding in, in this spot? Um, and what would Pio say to do differently given different inputs, right? Ultimately. Yeah. If you just adjust small, small little things, you know, if you adjust a river strategy and in, in the slightest way, when there's, you know, a polarized range, you know, it drastically changes what you should do. You know, your, you know, ace high call is like, you know, indifferent in pile land. And if they adjust in the slightest way, it's like slam dunk, you have to call right here or absolutely not. You should fold pairs, you know, kind yeah. of, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's very important that, you know, we understand that like equilibrium is not actually a thing. We don't know what equilibrium is. And so we just kind of have to use it as a basic baseline guideline. You can use it to like vaguely understand why you would want to do X or Y in a given situation and then add MDA on top of it. And in the short time that I've uh, been learning about mass data analysis, it's kind of been rocking my world you know, as, as far as just like simple things, you know, it's just like, yeah, no, this jam should be automatic. Always bluff here, no matter what people fold all the time. And here I am with a hand I would never, ever bluff with on the river. And I'm just like, I hear Brad in my head saying this jam should be automatic and <laughs> like, okay, rip it in. <laughs> yeah. it's uh, not, 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 not a little bit of pressure on me to hope that jam fucking goes through. Um, it worked, by the way. It worked. There we go. There we go. <laughs> um, I, I think another thing that you've said, because like, like you said, you're very, you're a very challenging person, right? You challenge lots of things. You, you want to know the why. You want to know the thought process that leads to a conclusion. You're not just happy with the conclusion. So from a coaching perspective, you know, with Feeding Frenzy specifically, that's a course that you've bought. And... I was very worried about how you would approach feeding frenzy, right? Because like it, it has answers. <laughs> it gives lots of answers, like just do yeah. this thing. Right. Um, and in the beginning, I, I felt like you were on the fence, but then recently just kind of out of the blue, you were like feeding frenzy is the best poker purchase I've ever made. Um, and like, for me, like, where did that come from? Just that, yeah. that about face. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, I can still use my, you know, logical understanding of like, I, you know, there's some things I don't have to challenge. Like you just have to, sometimes you just have to take an answer as it is because that's sure. the most effective way to go forward, you know? So I'm not always in that way. No, I can no, totally you, understand yeah, why. If you, you were, then we would not have a coaching relationship because it would just yeah. get too insane. Right. It's yeah, the same. Like it's, I did a poker coaching, uh, like Q and a where I just said, like, don't ask why, because I, I'm not interested in telling you about like, I think it was specifically the difference in like ignition and ACR. Like 
it's not on me to tell you why. Like you can Google why I believe what I believe, but this is my opinion. It's based on information. If you don't trust it, don't trust it. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to like um, defend my position on why you should play cash on Bovada and or Ignition and not ACR. And I think that in in some cases, like with my my kids, I, this is like the metaphor that I've used of like eat broccoli. You know why? Just just fucking eat it, kids. Like, <laughs> it's good for you. Like, when have I ever tried to poison you? When have I ever tried to, like, you know, compromise your safety or existence on this planet? Yeah, like, yeah. sometimes you do have to trust and you can't challenge everything, but the things that are important, you know, you do challenge, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, like, with with the Feeding Frenzy course in, in particular, like, I, I understand how you made the course. You know, it's a massive amount of data over however many million hands and i don't really have to know why when when it comes from that that perspective you know it's just like yeah this is how unstudied players react in this given scenario so just do this it's the maximally exploitive strategy you know and it's like i can spend so much more time focusing on you know mastering my strategy versus other good players you know, and exploiting them and asking why in those scenarios, you know, but it's like, you know, the feeding frenzy is just like, it's an easy answer to everything. It's like, Hey, I just did six, six million hands worth of data mining on what losing players are doing wrong in, in these spots. So yeah, go ahead and do this. And it's like, cool. Sounds Uh, good. (laughs) And, and I noticed, I noticed as I was playing, when I was just like implementing this stuff and like, it's uncomfortable, it's uncomfortable to be in certain spots and like, you know, value bet weird sizings that you would never choose, you know, but the more I saw it working, you know, and I'm looking at the hand histories and be like, wow, I can't believe I just got value from that hand, you know? And, you know, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I've literally not been called on a river bluff in like 27 hands, you know? (laughs) And it's just, it's just very clear. And, and, you know, I, I had one of my best online sessions la- last week and it was a Friday. So like everybody comes, comes in, you know, blowing, blowing their paychecks on ignition <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, it was just so clear. It was so, so obviously clear that had I not had feeding frenzy, I would have missed like three or four buy-ins worth of value, you know, or yeah. in, in, in some way. So like it, in that one session pays for itself and it's just an easy thoughtless you don't have to think you know what your strategy is just do it look at it you look at the other table and decide whether you want to four bet bluff and just value bet this fish for you know this sizing on the other table yeah it's uh it's funny because even with feeding frenzy you know i remember when there was one spot where you're like so i'm supposed to bet here but like if i bet here i'm betting with everything like, do I just bet everything? Am I just bluffing with like full range? And I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you are like they overfold in this spot. So you're bluffing with full range. And so get used to it because it's a profitable bluff. So just pull the trigger every single time, um, which <laughs> I think that was like a very hard thing for you to wrap your mind around. It wasn't that hard. Um, I remember asking that question in the Slack channel. I, I was like, yeah, so it says, you know, always bluff you know, with your air in this spot. And I'm like, so what do we fold? And you made a, you made like a four minute video that basically just said, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> you again, don't fold. Again, it, it did give me a chance to think about like why the feeding frenzy and all my MDA courses strategies are constructed in the way that they are. And I thought, I thought of like a good metaphor, right? Which is that, when you have absolute information, like if you go back and watch super users, they acted on absolute information. So like Grey Cat, the absolute scandal, all that stuff. They played every hand. They played every single hand. They knew exactly when to apply pressure because they had absolute information. And when it comes to like analyzing massive amounts of data and big data, you don't get absolute information, right? You don't become a super user, but you gain a lot of information and a lot of clarity on what people are doing in these spots that bridge the gap from like zero information to having a good idea of what humans are doing, which allows you to take some, you know, highly 
exploitable lines and that makes them profitable and get get you involved in spots that you otherwise probably wouldn't because now we have uh visibility that these spots are profitable because of villain strategy construction so Mm -hmm. that was sort of like the metaphor that kind of came to me was like we're just using extra information here to construct better strategies that allow you to play more hands that allow you to take more aggressive actions that allow you to call down lighter which are all things that are like ultra fun to me i mean this is like oh i get to play more hands i get to bluff more i get to call down more like this is a party um yeah the most fun part of poker so anyway that was sort of the the video and i'm glad that you you asked that question because again it helps solidify the strategy to me and sort of what's going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moving on from private coaching with me specifically and feeding frenzy, how have you found being a part of greatness village, the community itself? Uh, just give me your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's awesome. It, it's great. Like it, it seems like, you know, there's a community of, of, you know, high level players that are thoughtful and they care about the game, um, and, uh, and about improving. Um, and like I had been in a couple other, like, you know, poker community chat kind of things or whatever. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I really enjoy the, the, the village largely because of, of, of you and your interactions with, with it as well. Like it's not just a, a whole bunch of random people, throwing random information out there and you have no idea like what's actually correct or whatnot, you know, like, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the people, the people that I'm meeting, you know, are poker power hours and stuff like going through hands and, and stuff like that, cheering other people on, you know, when, when they, you know, have success or like building them up when, when, um, you know, when they're going through, uh, rough stuff, it, it just feels like a very tight knit community. Um, and, you know, a very welcoming community. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what, what else to say on top of that. Like, I'm very glad that I'm a part of it. Um, and, yeah, I re- really, you were very new to the community. And yeah. if my remembering is correct, whenever um, you went to play at Texas Card House and I was on vacation. So I was in Florida and like kind of disengaged with stuff, just trying to like get rejuvenated and catch my breath. And like, there was a thread going and like a lot of the villagers were like sweating you playing live. And I mean, that was just super cool for me. Like I I didn't sweat it because like I was in Florida, right? I'm like unwinding, but like there's this thread and everybody's commenting and they're excited and invested in both your success and failure. And that, that to me is just, it's just cool. It's cool seeing. Absolutely. I was so stoked when I got off of the stream and I looked through that, through that thread and just like saw everybody, you know, losing their shit when I flopped that set of nines and like stacked, stacked that one guy. And like, I was like, wow, this is so cool. Like, I don't even know half of these people <laughs> and they're all like, you know, cheering me on and whatnot. You know, yeah. it was, and it was awesome. I, yeah. That was, that was a super cool moment for me. And after a bunch of these like villager driven episodes kind of go live, I think it's going to be just much better for the community as well. Getting to know each other on a, just a much more personal level knowing each other's stories, where we come from. It's been great for me. Just, and I know you guys, I thought at like a pretty high level, but in some of these conversations, I just get so much more granular. Um, Yeah. So I guess from here, we're going to say our goodbyes. And hopefully in the near future, you know, you'll be back on the show when you move down to Texas and start battling. I'm excited to see where that journey goes. Excited to break down more TCH live stream, Joe, uh, hand histories on tactical Tuesday. I guess you can, you can hop in tactical Tuesday at some point and, uh, really talk about what you were thinking in the moment in the TCH stream. So that'd be fun. Yeah. Cool, man. Any, any parting words here before we close up shop? Yeah. I mean, greatness village chasing poker. Greatness is like, it's been in the short time I've been involved with it. It's been already monumental in my poker journey. And, and um, you know, anybody that is interested in improving their game and joining our community, we would love to have you. So thank you for creating this Brad. And um, 
It's my yeah. pleasure. And for the record, I had no intent on creating what happened. I, <laughs> I made the group. I was only one person in there and it's sort of taken a life on its own. And awesome. I take no credit for that. I'm just very grateful for sort of what's developed. Thanks for your time, yeah. man. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.